What an incredible privilege it is to be a part together of a church that's able to meet those kind of needs in our community. And I just want to thank everyone for your generosity going towards, uh, I guess, our church family here because that is the kind of stuff we're able to do. You know, it's awesome as well. You would have seen when you came through the doors, through the foyer, huge mounds of food. There's, you know, our, our food drive bags are back and it's, uh, it's been incredible to see so many people engage with that and, and be so generous to, to people in need over the Christmas season. So can we celebrate that as well? I'm like, it's so good. I came in, I'm like, What? Check out that food. That's amazing. Now, if you, if you weren't a part of that and you'd love to be, it's not too late. You can go to the What's On Desk. You can grab one of the, uh, the, the True North shopping bags and bring it back and help be a part of blessing uh, families and people in need over our Christmas season, which is, which is so cool. You know, can, can I just say again, welcome, welcome to True North Church. My name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here. I absolutely love this place and, uh, and I hope you will come to love it as well if you're, if you're new here today. Well, we've, been, uh, we've been tracking a series called We Care, as you can see up on the screens, and and it's why we've been celebrating uh, some of the different things that our church is able to do. I I want to just share one other thing that, you know, we're talking about the, the different ways we can bless people in our community over the Christmas season. And uh, one of the things we're really blessed and privileged to do as a church is put on our Christmas carols uh, over, over the Christmas period. Anyone been to a, a True North Christmas carol before? So good. They're good, right? Come on. They're, they're a lot of fun. They're fantastic. And, uh, and, but, but as you know, with that, it takes a, a lot of people to make those things happen. And, and I guess I want to invite you to be a part of the team that puts on those carols events. And there's a whole number of ways that, that you can get involved. And if you go out to the foyer near the big pile, of food. Uh, you'll see uh, an awesome guy named Darren who's coordinating that event for us. And, uh, and you can say, hey, I want to help out at Carol's. How can I get involved? And, and here's why I would give you that invitation. Now, one of the things I believe about the local churches is that we are a context to live out the gospel and actually introduce people to Christ through the context of the local church. Now, what we do in our Carol's events is we take the message of the gospel and we shine that light to thousands and thousands of people. How awesome is that? It's actually ridiculous that we get the opportunity to do that. And as a church, it's so important that we never lose sight of how honestly crazy it is that over 10,000 people, whatever, how many thousand people come to our events and hear the gospel. Come on. It's incredible. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. So go to the table, get a bag of food and, uh, and see my friend Darren and you can get on board with what is a, a truly remarkable event. But anyway, I was talking about, I was talking about We Care and as a church we've been, we've, been, we've been looking at Jesus and saying, what are the things that Jesus cared about? And because uh, my, you know, my basic theory is if I'm trying to refine and think about my own life, what are, the va- excuse me, what are the values I have? What are the things that I care about? A good place to start is Jesus, right? If we say, okay, I want to think about what should be important to me. And we've been saying, let's take a look at Christ to find out the answer to that question. Sounds like a good theory, right? Anyone agree with me? I, I, th- I feel like it's fairly solid, good foundation to start from. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to I play with an idea that sometimes when it comes to modeling our lives on Jesus and genuinely caring about others, sometimes what we don't care about is more important than what we do care about. What we choose not to care about can sometimes be just as important as what we do care about. So today, I've had some fun with our series, and just for one day only, True North Church, we don't care. Can can we just say that all together? Can someone film it and we'll send it to Dean? Okay, Lauren, 
Can you come up here? No, I won't. Like that would make Lauren shut up. Uh, I, I still think it would be kind of fun to all say. Can we just say that all together? Count three. One, two, three. True North Church. Uh, it, uh, no, I won't tell that story. Uh, but, but no, we, we do care. But in order to care like Jesus cares for others, there are some things that we need to learn to let go of. There are some things that we need to say, you know what? I need to care about that a little bit less if I'm going to care about Christ a little bit more. Okay, so here's, here's our working. So no one like, you know, walk out of the auditorium. The pastor said we don't care about people. That is not what I said. If anyone's taking notes or like, you know, Facebooking Dean or anything, Ryan's like, yeah, I've got the phone. <laughs> but but we're, we're going to take a look at the life of, of Christ. And one story in particular, a beautiful story of life change and transformation at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to take a look at this picture and we're going to ask the question, okay, when all of this was happening, sure, we can see some things pretty easily that Jesus does care about. But behind the scenes, what are the things that he's not caring about? What are the things that he's not caring about? So we're going to go to, to Luke chapter 7. If anyone's got a Bible, I'd invite you to take it out. And if not, you can uh, read along on the screens as we think about what didn't Jesus care about. So here we go, picking up chapter 7, verse 36. We're ready to read Scripture together. Can someone give me a come on? We're ready to read Scripture together. I actually asked for a come on, not just a general cheer, but okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry. How good's the new carpet, by the way? So cool. Actually, could everyone just take your shoes off? I just want to make sure it stays. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love a church like this, that every single day this place is used by, by the community, by different people, and that's why we want to, want to keep it awesome. So anyway, at verse 36... When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, sounds pleasant enough, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. How good's that word, alabaster? Can we say that together? I feel like that's a a word one says together. Can we say alabaster? Come Alabasta. It's kind of like a, it's one of those kind of words. It's definitely not Italian in its origin, but, but we'll get to that later. Now, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. It's a lot of tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, If this man knew anything at all, he would know who is touching him. He would know who's kissing his feet and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. If Jesus knew, he wouldn't wouldn't go anywhere near this person. Now, I want to help create a picture of what we've just read here. Uh, as Jesus is invited to be a part of this meal at the house of a Pharisee that we learn later in the text is called Simon. Now, what actually happened at these gatherings is that, is that a, a Pharisee or, or, someone, or, or someone of note would invite different teachers to come and sure, be a part of a meal, but, but their purpose was to exchange ideas around what it meant to live out faith, what it meant to be obedient to the law. 
And it was almost like a, a, an open forum where these, these intellectuals, these men of faith could come together and wrestle with issues. And in fact, people from the public were, were very much welcome to come into the space, not, not contribute to the conversation, but hear the conversation around these great men of faith as they talked about what it meant to follow God. But to show you what it actually looked like, I'm going to invite some first century Jews to, to join me. So, so Josh and Jeff, could you come on stage for a moment? Now, I, I was looking around the, the congregation a little bit earlier and I thought you guys most fit the bill of uh, first century Jewish gentlemen. Entirely because of the beards, nothing, nothing else. Now, now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you guys to kind of envision and for all, of, all of us, what it would actually look like. Because when we think of people coming to a meal, we think around sitting around a table, don't we? And we think about you know sitting on our chairs, leaning over the table, eating together. Now, what actually happened was something quite different. That that when when these people would come together to share a meal, they would actually recline, laying on the floor. So, so could you guys take maybe Josh on this side? So if you knock over the keyboard, it's on you. And uh, and, and they would recline, and you could imagine, yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> now, anyone got a camera? I feel like we need to capture this moment. Now, without, without any coaching, what they've done is perfect. Well done. So the left, the left hand would take the weight, and the table would be in the center. And with the right hand, they, they'd take the, the different foods, and they'd eat, and, and they'd continue to... Now, 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 Josh, uh, what you've actually done is, is offensive in their culture because you pointed the feet towards the food, and we'll get to that in a moment. Now, now the, reason, the reason they would sit like this, as, as I've shared, is, is that the, the, the face and the hands would be close to one another, and the feet would be as far away as possible because first century dudes, just like dudes today, have really smelly feet. So they'd point it all the way away from the table, and they would sit in this position, and they would discuss what it means to live out a life of faith. And then people like me would come into the space and just sit quietly and listen to them talk as I stroked my glorious beard, which in, which in real life I don't have. It's a cause of much pain for me. But, but here's the picture. All right, you guys can get up. Thank you. Thank you. Can we give them a round of applause? Thank you, my stately Jewish gentleman. Now, the reason that, that I paint that picture is because it matters when we think about the woman who's about to enter. That, that as they lay on the floor, the table low to the ground, and in this picture as the conversation started to flow, people have gathered to hear Jesus, this great teacher, discuss with these other Pharisees and teachers of the law. And as all of that's happening, there's a woman that enters in quietly, her head low, looking to the left and the right, wondering and hoping that, that no one would kind of notice her as she edged closer to the table. And you can imagine that as she came in, there, there may have been others that, that would have just kind of sidestepped and, and edged away, not wanting to be associated with her in any way. I'm just going to play keys while I'm here. I'm not. And, uh, and, and they edged, edged away, and then till finally, she stands at the feet of Jesus. He's reclining at the table, but she stands at his feet. And whatever her intentions were coming into that place, she just begins to weep. 
She's overcome in her presence and the, the tears, they fall. And as she's crying, she notices the feet of Jesus. She notices that her tears are falling on his feet. And as her tears begin to cover her feet, she, she sees the, the dust and the, the dirt that, that is starting to form a mud as the tears are cleaning. And she bends low. She takes out her hair and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus, wipe away the mud, wipe away all the dirt. And then she takes that alabaster jar, a small, ornate, very valuable jar that had to be broken to be poured out. And she broke it, whatever she might have been saving it for, she broke it and she poured it on the feet of Jesus in joy, in reverence. And she continued to weep. Now, in this moment, we've got to start thinking about what everyone else was thinking and feeling in that room. What, were everyone, what was everyone around the table thinking as this woman came in and sat at Jesus' feet, poured the perfume, and then began to kiss his feet? And began to kiss his feet. You know what? They weren't thinking as we are in this moment. What a wonderful picture. They were outraged, like the Pharisee Simon that invited Jesus, and we heard that internal struggle. Jesus, do you know who that is? Do you know what she's like? Do you know what she's done? When the Bible describes her as a, as a woman with a, a woman of sin or a woman of a life of sin, it, it almost definitely meant that she was a prostitute. And, and here she is, and everyone is outraged that Jesus would let this happen. That Jesus would allow this woman to, to pour perfume, to kiss him, to, to, to celebrate him in that way. But Jesus just lays and allows this woman to express her joy. So there's something in this story. We say, you know, we can all agree there's something that Jesus cares about. And it's this wonderful woman whose heart's being changed by a revelation of who Jesus is. That's something he cares about. But just as importantly, there's something he doesn't care about. He does not care that he is losing his standing with everybody else in the room. He came in as an honoured teacher. He doesn't care that by allowing this woman to do this, he's forfeiting his reputation with them. You want to know something Jesus doesn't care about? His reputation. He does not care about his reputation. He knows that as every person is watching this, they're thinking less of him. He's not a prophet. If he was, he wouldn't let this happen. He's not, he's not a gifted teacher of the law. If he was, he would know that he should, he should shoo her out of the house. Jesus knows all of that, but still he chooses grace for this dear, awesome woman. He does not care about his reputation. Now, here's something that we need to, to understand about reputation. Because all of us, we care about reputation. We care, and what, all I'm saying by it is this, is that we care what other people think about us. Is anyone else vulnerable enough to admit to that this morning? I, I care about other people. I care about what people think about me. It's kind of inbuilt to who we are. But here's the problem. When we care about what everybody else thinks about us, you know where it points our focus? It's not actually to everyone else. It points it back to me. And it says, because I care so much about everybody else, 
I've got to be really careful about how I act. I've got to be really careful about the things I do. I've got to be really careful about how I live out my faith. You know, a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned last week or possibly the week before, I, I, had, a, I had a bit of time in the, in the US, which was a lot of fun, and we visited some churches and all that kind of thing. But, but one of the things that really stuck with me wasn't, wasn't going and visiting the churches, but was kind of, you know, going to shopping centers and, and, and just meeting people out in public places. It sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? It wasn't about the churches. It was about hanging out with people at shops, buying some jeans. Uh, but, but anyway, I, I'd go to shops, and straight away, everyone would notice that I'm Australian. Any, any Australians here been to the US before? And everyone's like, oh, I can't do an American accent, but I'll be like, your, your accent's so cool. I thank you. I've been working on it a long time. I, I actually used that joke a couple of times. It always went down so well. But, but, but Americans, they, they kind of love, they love the accent. And they, then they'd start to ask questions. Why are you here? What are you doing? I'd be like, Oh, well, I'm a pastor, and I'm, you know, coming with a bunch of guys from Australia, and we're going to check out some different churches and try to just get encouraged with what we're doing back home. And it amazed me that almost every person I talked to was like, that's awesome. That's so cool. God bless you. That is so good. I hope you get so much out of the trip. And I was like, I was actually kind of blown away by that. Because in my job as a pastor, when I'm talking to people and out meeting people, I, I always kind of, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I work in a church. I, and now back home, I, I get a different response. Back home, maybe I'm getting, you know, getting my hair cut. And there's this really nice person cutting my hair. They're asking me questions like, oh, you have kids? Yeah. Oh, that's great. I've got kids. Awesome. And uh, maybe they'll talk about sport. And, and then they'll inevitably get to the point where they say, oh, what do you do? I'm like, okay, cool. Here's a great opportunity for a conversation. I said, well, I'm a pastor. And sometimes it's just stunned silence. The, the scissors stop moving. Uh, should I still cut your hair? I'm like, it's okay. You know, you keep going about what you're doing. So sometimes it's almost like it can kind of range from this awkward, but, oh, okay, cool. And then no more talking unless I start triggering. Or sometimes it's like, it's like, oh, oh okay, yeah, okay, cool, yeah. And then it's kind of, let's talk about something else. And it amazed me the difference in the response. And it highlighted to me the culture that we live in. And I think when we talk about reputation, when we talk about what others think of me versus what Christ thinks of me, this is such a good foundational space to start when it talks about how open am I about being a Christian. I honestly feel this is the most basic building block. Do I care about others or do I care about Christ? Which one am I listening to in terms of what shapes my thought process, what shapes my decision making? Which one is it? Are we willing to show grace and love no matter the cost attached to self? Jesus certainly was. You know, when I continue to think about this story and I continue to think about this picture, as Jesus unconditionally shows grace and love to this woman, the one thing I think that, that's not recorded in Scripture anywhere, but there must have been a moment, there must have been a moment, maybe days earlier or earlier in the day, where Jesus bumped into this same woman. Don't you reckon? There must have been a moment where, where Jesus spoke something into her life that just changed her forever. It might have been as simple as, you need to change your life. God loves you. 
leave your sin behind. And maybe she wrestled with that for a little while and then, then she realises the grace and acceptance in Jesus and she comes and weeps at his feet. There must have been a moment like that. There must have. But then she comes into this space and Jesus receives her into that space knowing that every other person expected Jesus to respond in a certain way. They all expected him to respond in a certain way. And here's the next thing Jesus doesn't care about. He doesn't care about the wrong expectations. He does not care about the wrong expectations because the expectation on him as a teacher in his context, in his culture, was to respond to a woman like that by telling her to go away. To go away, leave the house. You're not welcome here. You're not entitled to be a part of this meeting. And that's what the Pharisee thought that it invited Jesus. Don't you know who this is? You're supposed to be a prophet. Don't you know what she's like? Jesus didn't care about that expectation. He cared about that woman's future. He cared about giving her grace. He cared about accepting her. He cared about loving her. He cared about what God expected of him. And he didn't listen to the wrong expectations. So here's how Jesus responds to Simon, the Pharisee, whose home he had come into. Now, Jesus, knowing the the wrestle and the tension in Simon's heart, aware of the the cultural context and also, you know, being God, he's aware of what he's thinking. And Jesus answered him into that tension. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon said, tell me, teacher, tell me. And he shares a brief parable. And in verse 41, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other just 50. Now, neither of them had the money to pay the moneylender back. So he forgave the debts of both. Wow. And then Jesus asked the question, now, which of them will love him more? Which will love the moneylender more? The one that had the really big debt or the one that had the much smaller debt? And you can imagine Simon, he kind of perhaps a little bit begrudgingly knowing where Jesus is going, he said, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus doesn't go any further into it. He simply says, you've judged correctly. You've judged correctly. Now, here's something else that we learn about Jesus that I hope you already know. And if you don't, my prayer is that you'll come to understand it today, that Jesus does not care about the cost of the debt. He doesn't care about the cost of my debt of sin. He doesn't care about the cost of your debt of sin. He doesn't care if it's really, really big or just a little debt. He doesn't care how much it costs. You know what he does care about? Paying for it unconditionally, regardless, no matter the cost, to pay for it unconditionally. And here's the great truth about Jesus. He looks at all of our past. He sees all the brokenness. He knows exactly who we are. But when we come to him, he says, you know what? You know what I don't care about? Your past. You know what I do care about? Your redeemed future. I don't care about the the picture of who you were. 
I care about the picture of who you're becoming when you come to know who I am. What an awesome picture of our God. What an awesome picture of Jesus that he does not care about the debt. And here's what he's saying to Simon straight up and in his face. I represent God and I do not care about the cost of your sin. I care about redeeming it unconditionally for everyone, every time. So good. But Jesus continues, and in verse 44, he says this. Then he turned towards the woman, took the focus back onto her, and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I love that question. Did, did Simon see her? Did he see her heart? Did he see the transformation? Or did, he, or did he just see a label? Did he just see a brokenness? Did he just see a sin? Or did he actually see her? You know what? Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. And he continues, I came into your house. You invited me here. Now, you did not give me any water for my feet which was customary in Jesus' time, that as the, the two stately Jewish fellows came in, they'd be given a bowl of water to wash their feet, because again, guys have gross feet, and, and it would be part of that refreshment getting ready for a meal. You didn't give me any water with my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, again customary upon entering a home, to receive a kiss of greeting. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Now you did not put oil on my head. Again, a custom of a host to, to anoint and welcome the guests to give, give a type of oil just to anoint their head. But she poured perfume on my feet. And the contrast between the two, the, the oil was kind of a, a cheap, basic ointment. Now, the perfume was, was much more expensive, much more valuable. So he's contrasting the way they've treated him. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. And that's what takes me back to that, that thought that there must have been an encounter with Jesus somewhere before. That this was an expression of the fact that she had been forgiven. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And now he's pointing the laser back at Simon. Then Jesus turned to the woman. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I don't care about the debt. I don't care about your past. I don't care about how bad the decisions you made. You're forgiven. Now it's time to live a new life. Then the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this even who forgives sins? They don't quite yet understand who Jesus is as the Son of God like we do now. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, to finish, to finish this story and to finish this series, I want to take us back to Jesus we started We Care with this idea that we want to model the things we value on who Jesus is. Now, I want to leave this final picture with us of the, the way the woman responded to Jesus in her life change and the way Simon the Pharisee responded in a very different way. And I want to leave you with this question right now, here today, in this moment, when you think about your journey of faith and how you see Jesus and how that brings shape to your life. How do you look at Jesus? Do you look at him like Simon looks at him? 
as if there's almost like a sense of entitlement that Jesus, I, I've invited you into my home, into my life. Aren't you lucky that you get to come and be a part of my life? I'm not going to wash your feet. I'm not going to give you any oil for your head. I'm not going to do any of those things. Aren't you fortunate that you get to come and be a part of my life? Aren't you fortunate? Or are we like the woman who's just overjoyed with what Christ has done for her? That she brings perfume, that she weeps. That, and, and, and in this picture, I, I don't see a woman weeping in sorrow. I see a woman weeping overcome that for the first time maybe in her life, someone has shown grace and forgiveness towards her. And it's a catalyst for life change within her soul. How do we see Jesus? When we think about what we care about, do we value Christ in the right way? Right here, today, right now. How do you see him? I'm going to invite you just to, to take a moment to reflect on that question. I'm going to invite the team to, to come back and join me. And I really, I really want you to wrestle with this this morning. Say, so how, how do I respond to Jesus? I get a picture of what he cares about, what, what he maybe doesn't care about. I get a picture of what, me, what he calls me to. But the starting place is always going to be how we first see him. So how do we see him? Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? And I'd love to, to lead us in a quick prayer. So when we put ourselves in that room, at that meal, and we watch Jesus, do we look at him like some of the others did? without joy, without excitement, without a new sense of purpose, without a fresh understanding of being redeemed and restored by the grace of God, without a hope in our soul? Or do we come to the feet of Jesus overjoyed that He's called us, that He's invited us to be a part of a, of a life that matters? a life that will bring blessing to others. How do you see Jesus today? I want to invite, invite you to invite Jesus back into your heart this morning. And maybe you're in a season where, where you look at Christ a little bit like Simon, but it's time to look at him like the redeemed woman, overjoyed in your soul. God, I want to thank you that you're here in this moment. And I pray for anyone here today that needs to, to reset their eyes on you. I pray for anyone here today that needs to see you with value once again. God, would you come and be here with us? And God, I pray that in these moments, as we worship your name, that your presence would be here and we would remember who you are. That there would be a new value placed on who you are. And God, would you transform us just a little bit more into who you're calling us to be. Thank you, God. Amen. Let's stand together. and we're gonna